So I'd like to invite all of us to, as much as possible, rest into our seat, our space, if we can do something to make ourselves a little bit more comfortable, then feel free to do that. And to just also say that even though I will be speaking and you will be listening, it's, as I said yesterday, very much a, a shared creation. So taking the listening really is also part of the process, part of what's happening here. And using the listening also as a practice, just listening externally to the external input and also listening internally to the responses that come up for us with as much as possible an, an openness and an interest in, in that process. So I'd like to share some reflections this evening. Beginning with some reflections on impermanence, which for me is, is one of the great gifts of, of Dharma teachings, really one of the great gifts. That kind of sh light that they shine on this changeable existence that we're part of. The fact that everything is in constant movement, in constant flux and change. That nothing, even the most solid, seemingly permanent things, like a building, Nothing is in fact as solid and permanent as we take it to be. So if we look more closely, we can see that everything is changing. Everything is in movement. True of everything and everyone. And it can be an interesting experiment over the days here to, to check that out for yourself, to really contemplate something. And look for the solidity, look for that aspect of it that does not change. And Joseph Goldstein, one of the, the senior teachers in, in this tradition, the insight tradition, has a beautiful one-liner about impermanence. He says, impermanence is the fact that anything can happen at any time. Anything can happen at any time. We could get enlightened. Wow. I know maybe kind of at the end of the day that may seem about the furthest thing <laughs> that's possible. 
But anything could happen, and just really, wow. Really? Let's, let's look at it, let's contemplate that. And of course, mentally, we know this, yeah? It's not news. <laughs> you know, mentally, we understand, you know? We, we've spent however many years we've spent with ourselves, <laughs> you know, whether it's 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60, 70, 80 odd years we've spent with ourselves, we've seen this change happening, right? <laughs> And yet, for most of us, we still carry some view of ourselves which is quite different. If we had, if they could, maybe they already can do this, screen our thoughts <laughs> next to us. If you could see my self-image next to me right now, probably some, well, it's not probably, I know, myself as I was at 19. Stuck there. Whatever it is, you know, for each of us. And so we understand mentally, but what's our actual experience like? And when we start looking, when we start following that invitation that the teachings offer to us, which is a pretty vital and potent invitation to look at our experience, we can see how much, despite this understanding that everything changes, despite the fact that there is white hair when there used to only be brown, (laughs) or whatever it is. We spend so much energy in trying to hold on, in trying to control things, to keep them from changing, or at least, at least, to control the direction and the speed at which they change. I love gray hair, but you know, if they could just all change in one go. Sorry, I'm just going to keep giving these stupid examples until you start laughing. So. But when we look at our experience, we can see that. That despite the understanding, there's a, a part of ourselves that's always trying to, to hold on, that's always trying to control, to stop things from changing. And when we look more at this kind of resistance to change, we can say. We can see that a lot of it is around the fact that when we look at impermanence, what we tend to focus on is the aspects of change that we don't want or we don't like. Yes, another thing that happens to some of us, we tend to focus on that the parts of change that we don't want, getting older, losing things or, or people that we care about, that we value. And so the invitation when we look at impermanence, when we look at the changing nature of things, is to look deeper and also to look wider, to see if we can see the flow of it, the possibility and the potential that are there in the fact that things change, that things move, the possibility and the potential, not just the loss 
and the challenges. So again, it's something that mentally we know, but it's so valuable to turn our attention to that, to the fact that a bud becomes a flower, becomes a fruit, becomes a seed, becomes another plant. You know, that's all impermanence there. The fact that as we get older, we learn from our experience, we become more mature, probably more wise, even if we don't acknowledge it. So kind of seeing that also. The wonderful Vietnamese Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh points out to us again and again that impermanence is an essential component of being alive. Without it, we wouldn't have been born. Would we? Or if by some miracle we had, we would still be babies. So that change is needed. A rice seed wouldn't become a rice grain that someone cooked for us and that we ate today at lunch. That couldn't happen if there was no change, if there was no movement of life. And sometimes it can be helpful to just reflect on a short period of time in our own lives, like the last 24 hours, and just see the changes that happened. Whatever mood we were in this morning has most likely changed. It's probably not the same. Our preoccupation with lunch at around 11.45 or 12 or 12.15, probably also not there anymore. You know, these things move, they change. They bring a lot of joy and interest and diversity to our lives. And with that awareness of the way things change, also the way things are influenced. So what happened when someone smiled at me today? How did that change my experience or affect my experience? Or if someone said something in a small group that I really resonated with, how did that change or affect my experience? So our practice here of this gentle moment-to-moment -moment presence with our experience of just as much as possible being present with what is unfolding supports us to open and relax into this changeability of life, into this movement of life. 
And that question that I asked, I can't even remember when, but I'm sure I did. Whatever arises, can I just be with it as it is? And then can I just be with whatever comes next as it is? And this offers a great freedom to us. We don't need to be stuck, imprisoned, limited in any tendency or thought pattern that we find ourselves in. We don't need to be stuck in a way of being that is going on right now. We can let things arise, change and pass as they do. Right now, the sun is getting lower in the sky. The light is changing. The day is turning into evening. And the evening will turn into night. And that's just the nature of things, that they change. Wouldn't it be wonderful to also be able to see our own changes, our own ebbs and flows in that way? Just the nature of things. So we don't need to solidify. We do it. We know we do it. That's why we're here. But we don't need to solidify around ourselves or around others. We don't need to label. We can give ourselves space. We can give each other space to change, to be. So I have another example from my experience with this, which I find helpful, so I'll share. In the old lady's home in Anandawan, in the leprosy community that I spoke about this morning, the attendants, the women who work there, are themselves cured leprosy patients. They themselves have had the disease and suffer from the disability caused by it. And they live there 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, with the women that they look after. And there's one attendant in particular who's, I call her, and I feel she is one of my great teachers. Her name is Baby. It's a name in India, women's name. And she's this huge, very big, very strong, very fierce lady. And so sometimes, like in any other human situation, there's things like jealousy or disharmony that arise there. And often baby is involved 
in some way. It's very interesting. And particularly there's one young woman that lives in the, in the old women's home, even though she's only 24 years old. She has very severe arthritis. And that's the only place that she can get the care that she needs in the community. And so when we're there, we were there with a group of volunteers and many times people in our group tend to spend a lot of time with this young woman, Jyoti, and look after her and take her out and bring her treats. So this is something that causes jealousy. So this is a story from a few years ago again. I keep saying that so that you'll think I've grown wiser over time, <laughs> but these things still happen. So there was kind of a growing energy of this kind of jealousy building up. And one morning, when the volunteers from our group were in the home, I could hear shouting from Jyoti's room. And I went over to see what was going on. And baby was shouting in Marathi, very fast and loud, <laughs> couldn't understand. But it was clearly distressing for all the other women that were there. And so myself and another friend just gently held on to baby and said, come on, let's, let's speak about it somewhere else. And we moved out into the courtyard between the rooms. And she was angry and she was shouting and we could slowly understand that she was angry and she was upset and jealous that Jyoti was getting all these treats. And she was saying, why don't I get a samosa? Why don't I get a banana? And we tried to gently listen and also explain when there was gaps, when there were gaps. You know, she's, she can't get out of bed. You know, she's really in bad shape. And after some shouting and listening and gentle reminders, suddenly the anger, the rage, the shouting erupted into tears and pain. And she just started crying. What about me? What about me? Who sees my pain? And she cried and we stroked and hugged her and listened, understanding about 5% of the words, but listened. And then the crying stopped and she put her arms around us and she said, come on, I'll make you some chai. So staying present to that changing impermanent nature. Who is the real baby? All of that. She's that fierce, harsh, shouting, mean person sometimes. She is that person in pain who is not seen. And she's that generous, generous heart who five or six or seven years later 
makes tea for our volunteers every day. Every day that we're there, from that moment, from that day. Offering. So who's the real baby? And we can really turn that towards ourselves when we believe whatever story is going on in the moment. I'm great. I'm awful. Everyone else can meditate except me. I'll never get it. I've gotten it. I want to tell everyone. Whatever it is. It's all true in the moment, but it's not permanent. It's not the only thing that's going on. So can we catch ourselves when we get really tight and really rigid in the way we view ourselves or someone else, but here primarily ourselves? say, okay, that's true right now, but it's not the whole picture. It's not the only thing that's going on. It's just one slide of my existence, of my diversity, of my richness, abundance. So can we see our imperfection and our beauty? How dynamic we are, just like everything else. We've got these beautiful grounds here, and we can really take time to look at nature. It can also give us that same teaching. Sometimes when leaves fall, they have all these patterns on them that are a disease. (laughs) And yet they're so beautiful. So can we see that? It's not one or the other. It doesn't have to be one or the other. And can we also see when we see that in ourselves, that changeability? that movement, how influenced we are. By different causes and conditions. What are we like when we feel heard or listened to? What are we like when we've got a headache? How do we feel if we've enjoyed lunch? How do we feel if we didn't? What is that influenced by? So just see that flow of life flowing through us. See that flow of conditions flowing through 
and each condition also conditioned, each cause also caused by other things. Flow of things, not cut off from what's around us, from what's in us. So this wisdom that can arise when we really look and see, we see the impermanent nature of things, everything, as I said. It seems in our modern society, some things are even less permanent than they used to be, and others more permanent, for example, plastic. It will change. It will break down. It'll take a long time. So when we see that, changeability in everything and everyone. And when we see that interconnectedness and conditionality of everything. When we see that. And you can really feel it here on retreat in small things. Sometimes just someone holding the door open can really affect us. It's a really small thing. So we can see that effect, how we are affected and how we affect outside of ourselves. And so this wisdom, when we see this, even moments of seeing it, really nourishes and supports our practice. and is also cultivated further through our practice. We develop the capacity to see, to be still enough to notice what is going on. And so a question that arises for me, at least, is if everything is conditioned and changing. If everything is conditioned and changing, does anything make sense except, does anything make sense except really prioritizing kindness and care? Kindness and care and connection. Does anything make sense except that? And just let yourself be with that question. Just let yourself be with that question. Somewhere in our being, it's something that we know. In the Dharma teachings, it's called that Buddha nature that we all have. Something that we know. That kindness, that care, that connection matters. That it's the only sane response to this changing life that we're part of. I heard a story recently that to me really brings home how deeply this is something that we know. 
and is not dependent on have, coming from a specific background or having a specific life situation. So this is a story that I heard Jack Cornfield, another senior teacher in our tradition, tell. And it happened during a meeting that he organized between prisoners in the US, people who had been in prison for 18 or 25 years and had been participating in a program that he organized to meditate, to practice, to look at their lives from that wish to live more wisely, more compassionately. And so he organized a meeting between them and the Dalai Lama and a group of young Tibetan nuns who had left Tibet a short time before. And so they were all sitting together and conversing. It was an interaction, questions and answers, and the nuns were telling some of their stories. They'd all been in prison in Tibet. And the guys were telling some of their stories, their experiences. And at some point, one of the men asked the nuns, were you ever afraid when you were in prison? Did you ever feel fear? And these young nuns answered, yes. We felt fear a lot. We were so afraid that we would lose our compassion for those that had imprisoned us. We were so afraid that we would lose our compassion for those that had imprisoned us. And this guy who had asked the question, he had been in prison for 18 years in a maximum security prison in the US, and that's really bad karma. And he just turned to these women and he said, I've never seen, I've never met anyone more beautiful or more courageous than you. So different backgrounds, different life stories, and yet that recognition that we all have of what really matters, what is sanity, what is a life worth living. And I have another example of this, which also touched me very deeply. It was in a documentary film that I watched some months ago of two men, an Israeli and a Palestinian, who had each lost their daughter, young daughters. One, the Israeli, to a suicide bomber attack in Tel Aviv. And the Palestinian man, his daughter, had been shot by soldiers on her way home from school. These two men are part of an organization called the Palestinian-Israeli Bereaved Family Forum. It's a documentary film about their work, specifically these two. And so the Palestinian, Bassam, he organizes a meeting between his Israeli brother Rami, and a group of Hamas operatives 
in Janine. I'm the only Israeli here, so you probably don't know, but that's kind of hotbed area in the West Bank. And these are Hamas operatives. They're people who want nothing to do with Israelis of any kind. But somehow, they agree to meet. And they say to this Israeli man, whatever you say, it's not going to make a difference. Whatever you say. But they let him talk. And when he shares his story of the loss of his daughter and his, his, his work as a result of that for peace and reconciliation so that no one else will go through what he has gone through. At the end of that meeting, they say to him, you are our brother. We hear your pain. So he may not have changed their political views, but that ability to see the humanity in the other, the ability to connect us to that, it's a great gift. It goes beyond borders of enmity, of ideas, of you and me, of self and other. So in this constantly changing reality that we live in, let's prioritize to make peace with ourselves, with each other, in the world. Let's prioritize to help each other connect to that deep nature that is in us. That ability to live from love, with love, with care, with kindness. And we can start to do this by really prioritizing, practicing compassion and forgiveness for ourselves, for others, for the small things. Not in a sentimental way, not in a kind of whitewash way, but just very gently, very deeply, very slowly, at whatever speed it takes. Meeting our anger, meeting our disappointment, meeting our imperfections, and letting them go. When we can, letting them go not getting stuck in any aspect of ourselves. So forgiveness is a really important part of our practice. 
of compassion, of opening. Just that forgiveness that acknowledges that we're not perfect. Neither is anyone else. So we make mistakes, we cause harm, we act unskillfully. We do that. But then what happens the next moment or the next day when we realize? Can we just let ourselves let go of that, not hold on? In Buddhist psychology, I love this, the way they speak about forgiveness. Forgiveness is feeling the suffering and holding on to anger or judgment or ill will or hurt. So feeling the suffering and then setting the intention, setting the intention to let go of that to let go of that so again it's not telling us you've got to forgive you've got to let go you've got to do this you've got to do that no feel what happens in you and then set the intention to let go set the intention to let go And it's important in that to remember that forgiveness is not about condoning, agreeing with harm that's caused, that we cause ourselves, that we cause others, or that others cause to us or to others. It's not about condoning. It's about seeing the humanity and letting go of that anger and that ill will and that hurt which is causing us harm in the moment. And it's a deep process of the heart. It can take a long time. It can take a long time. I'm speaking from personal experience here. But that setting that intention is already taking us such a long way and it releases something in us so that we can be at peace with our true nature because we know what we've aligned ourselves with. So this is possible, as I've said over the days here. It's possible for things to change. With that setting of the intention and taking small steps and more small steps and more small steps, change can happen in us, one step at a time.
And it's really okay to start with the small, to start with the, not the most difficult challenges of our lives. In the Tao Te Ching, they say, do the difficult while it's still easy. <laughs> so start with the small, do the difficult while it's still easy. We don't need to climb Mount Everest. We can just walk up a slope in Devon. And that's taking us in the right direction. Bringing us closer to our true self. There's another amazing woman that I'd just like to speak about. Also part of that same bereaved families forum that I have the great privilege of being in contact with when I'm in Israel and Palestine. Her name is Robbie Demlin. And her son was shot by a Palestinian sniper when he was doing his military service in the West Bank. A few years after he died, and she had been one of the founders of this forum and worked and still works tirelessly to bring Palestinians and Israelis together to meet to speak, to see each other, to hear each other. So a few years after her son was killed, the sniper that shot him was arrested by the Israeli military and put into prison. And she felt that if she was to walk her talk, she needed to make contact with him, and she needed to offer him forgiveness. It was so hard, so hard to do. And so she sat with herself. She's a chain-smoking, hyperactive woman. I don't think she's a meditator. But she sat with herself. This is an aside, but I've got to say, she and another friend from the Forum Palestinian, they said once, the only way to really bring peace between Israeli and, Palestinian and Palestine is to make smoking only legal if the people of two nations do it together. <laughs> so you could only smoke if you had a... Palestinian mate or an Israeli mate, depending on your nationality. And then there'd be peace, no problem. Who knows? So we'll be sat with this sense of, I need to walk my talk. I need to forgive this person, which means making contact with him 
which means going to see him. And she couldn't quite do it. And she sat with herself. And she did whatever she did of acknowledging where she was, her aspiration and her reality. And in the end, she wrote a beautiful letter to the parents of the guy who shot her son, speaking from her own heart to their heart, sharing her pain at their pain for having a son in prison. So it doesn't always have to look a certain way. It doesn't always have to be this or that. But being true to ourselves and where we are and taking steps from there and such transformation can happen. So she's not carrying the hatred, the anger, the ill will. She'll always feel the pain of losing her son. But she's not carrying anything extra with that. So it can sometimes seem when we hear these stories that that is someone else. I couldn't do that if that happened to me. Let's not sell ourselves short. Let's not use this as a way to put ourselves down. Our practice is to be who we are as we are and to take steps with ourselves from that place. Do the difficult while it's still easy. Start where you are, Tibetan teacher, Pema Chodron. Start where you are. That's the only way, only place we need to be. So we don't need to do anything like anybody else. We don't need to be the Dalai Lama. Be nice, but we don't need to. Or Mother Teresa or Gandhi. We can be inspired. We can be touched. We can be moved. But we don't need to measure up in that way. Just need to live our life. If all that happened was in the days here, we noticed the times we were unkind to ourselves and were able to let go of that. The world will be a different place. Not just our world, the world will be a different place. So I'd like to end with another quote from the Tao Te Ching, which is one of my favorite quotes. And I hope it's something that can resonate within us over the days. So true perfection seems imperfect, yet is perfectly 
itself. True perfection seems imperfect, yet is perfectly itself. Can we just be as we are? It's never a lifetime commitment. <laughs> it's just this moment. And rest in the perfect imperfection of who we are. Or the imperfect perfection, whichever way around you like. But just remember, true perfection seems imperfect, yet is perfectly itself. So let's have a few quiet moments just to close. May our practice together nourish seeds of forgiveness, compassion, kindness, and care in our own hearts. And may our practice together be for the benefit and the welfare of all beings in all directions. So thank you for your listening and presence this evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.